We have joy this morning. We can have joy every day, even during this crazy time. The Apostle Paul tells us, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. So why can we rejoice always? Because the promises of God are never at risk. God's promises to us are sure we are safe in his care. And so we can rejoice even now. So we are in some pretty crazy times. This week we had 3.3 million people apply for unemployment. That is like a historical record. And now the U.S. tops the world in confirmed coronavirus cases. And so the fact of the matter is there are people in hardship. And the hardship might, in fact, get worse in the days to come. And so we have an encouraging message this morning because we see our Lord Jesus Christ face hardship with faith. And he's an incredible example to us. And we're going to learn from his example how we too can face hardship with faith. Well, we are in a series on the Gospel of Mark titled Marked. We want our lives to be marked by our encounter with Jesus through this study of his life and teaching. So turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Mark chapter 14. This is a rather long chapter and it has lots in it. Today we're going to be looking at just 10 verses. Uh, the story of Jesus in Gethsemane wrestling with the cross and submitting himself to the will of the Father. So open your Bibles, if you would, to Mark chapter 14. And we begin in verse 32. And they went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John. So, 11 of Jesus' disciples are with him. The 12th, Judas Iscariot, is not with them because he's off betraying Jesus to the Jewish leaders. Gethsemane actually means olive press, and Jesus, uh, they're in an olive grove. Uh, in fact, they've been to this olive grove many times, which is one of the reasons uh, Judas Iscariot knows where to uh, find Jesus and direct the mob. Eight of the disciples, Jesus goes only so far into the olive grove and then says, sit here while I pray. But he takes with him Peter, James, and John a little farther in. Why Peter, James, and John? Well, maybe they're the inner circle, but it might be that these three guys have all declared that they will not abandon Jesus during his uh, ordeal. Though it get really bad and everybody else abandon you, Jesus, we won't. We'll go through death with you if necessary. And yet, even here when it's just beginning, we see that Peter, James, and John can't even stay awake. They can't even support Jesus through prayer. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. Now Jesus has been foretelling the coming of the cross. He knew that he was going to have to suffer. In fact, uh, just earlier that night, he's had the Lord's Supper and he foretold this. But something new is happening. 
All of a sudden, Jesus is beginning to feel the pain. And he begins to be greatly distressed and troubled. It's no longer out there. It's now right on him. And man, he is starting to enter into the reality of the suffering he is about to endure. And he said to them, these are the words that Jesus used, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Now he's quoting from the Psalms, the suffering servant. Jesus understood that he was the Messiah who had to suffer. But think about that word, my soul is sorrowful even to death. In other words, Jesus is so grieved, he is so overwhelmed that if it got any worse, he would just die. You've ever been something like that? Now this is, this is far more than Jesus fearing the pain that's coming. Although that was bad, they hammered nails into his hands and his feet and they hung him upon a cross. The pain was going to be bad, but it's more than that. And it's more than just those that he loved were going to abandon him and disown him. It's more than the fact that he was to be falsely accused and unjustly condemned, that he would be mocked and beaten, spit upon. You see, the father was about to pour out upon his son the wrath that he had been storing up from the beginning of the world against sin. I can't even comprehend what that was like. So this cup of suffering and judgment that Jesus is going to drink is way greater than just the physical pain. There's something spiritual going on, and Jesus is beginning to feel it. And so he is greatly distressed and troubled. He is sorrowful even to death. And here we see the first principle for how to face hardship with faith, and it's this. Allow yourself to enter the pain. Allow yourself to feel it. You see, if Jesus had faced the cross dispassionately, stoically, as if it didn't affect him, we would think that that's what faith requires. But he doesn't. In fact, Ecclesiastes tells us there's a time to grieve. There's a time to weep. In fact, I think it is more appropriate to feel the pain of the brokenness that the Lord sometimes lets into our lives than to be stoic about it. Just, this, just yesterday, I talked to a dear friend whose just lovely wife had died this week. And he said, I rejoice for her. I celebrate for her because her pain is over and she is in the arms of our blessed Savior. But I, I regularly fall to my knees and waves of sorrow crash over me. That's not a lack of faith. That's a good thing. The brokenness, the final, uh, the final enemy of death has intersected his life and he's feeling it. And that's okay. <clears throat> Remain here and watch, Jesus tells Peter, James, and John. So eight of the disciples, he left them earlier. Peter, James, and John go farther with him. But Jesus goes even farther to pray to the Father. Going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed. He fell on the ground. 
Think about it. I, I, I view that as he just, he collapses. What is going on in his head and his heart is affecting his body. And he just, he's overwhelmed. He just falls to the ground. It's also a, a posture of uh, earnest supplication. Father, please, he's pleading. This, this matters to Jesus. He is desperate that God hear him. And he prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. If it were possible. Now, what does Jesus mean by that? Is he saying, God, if perchance you could somehow get control of the situation, which is just spiraling out of control so fast, if, if maybe you could, you could get control of things, then you could, then you could protect me. That is not what Jesus is saying. In fact, Jesus, right after this, goes on to pray, Father, all things are possible for you. Jesus knows God is in control. What he's saying is, God, if it is possible for you to save the world without me having to go to the cross, I want that. Father, if it, if it is possible for you to accomplish your perfect plan without me having to suffer, I want that. Here are the words that he uses. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. First off, notice how he addresses the Father. Abba, Father. Now, Abba is Aramaic for Father. And then Mark, because he's writing in Greek and to a Greek audience, clarifies. And so he goes, Abba, in Aramaic, which is what Jesus actually said, and then he clarifies Father for us. But listen, that is not the way Jews in Jesus' day addressed God. They didn't even use his name lest they blaspheme. And so, but Jesus has a special relationship with the Father. Uh, Jesus is the Son, the second person of the Trinity. But you know what? Jesus tells us, his followers, to pray in the same way. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We too have a special relationship with the Father. And I'll tell you, that is so important when you're going through hardship. So important when you're going through hardship. Because knowing that God who is in control is your Father. And fathers give good gifts to their children. Fathers care about their children. Fathers protect their children. So it is out of this special relationship and out of this understanding of God as his father that Jesus prays, knowing that he will be heard. Take this cup from me. I don't want to drink the suffering and judgment of the cross. And here we see the second principle for how to face hardship with faith. Tell God what you want. Don't be afraid to tell him your will. You have a will. You absolutely do. Jesus had a will. My will, Father, is to avoid the cross, to not have to drink from this cup. You have a will. Most likely your will is, God, I don't want to have to lose my job. God, I don't want to get sick. God, I don't want my loved one to die. God, I don't want my child to walk away from you and endure the consequences of sin. God, I do not want my marriage to fall apart. God, you have a will. Tell the Lord. When you're in the midst of the hardship, do not be shy. He knows your heart anyways. Tell him, God, this is what I want. 
This is my will. That is totally appropriate. It's absolutely an act of faith. But Jesus does not stop there. Jesus does not stop there. He goes on to the very important next place where he prioritizes the will of God over his own. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Third principle for facing hardships in faith is to prioritize the will of God over your own will. Jesus is saying to the Father, Father, I don't want to go to the cross, but what I want even more than that is I want your will to be done in my life. And why could Jesus do that? Why would Jesus submit his will to the Father's will? Why would you submit your will to God's will? Because Jesus trusted the Father. He trusted that God loved him. He trusted that God knew what was best. And he trusted that God had a perfect plan. And you know what? That is true for you. You have a heavenly Father who knows you and loves you and has a perfect plan. And you know what? It's possible that executing his perfect plan was going, is going to involve you stepping into hardship. Which is why we pray, yet not my will, but yours be done. And Christians always get there. It amazes me. As a pastor, I hear so many stories. And I'm so encouraged with how uh, Christians always get there. They're in the midst of the hardship. They don't want it. They pray fervently that God would uh, protect them and that, they would, that there would be a way of escape. But eventually they get to the point where they say, but God, I am your servant. And like Job, though you slay me, I, yet will I praise you. My life is yours. And, and if your purposes are best accomplished through my suffering, I'm okay with that. Yet not my will but yours be done. Verse 37, And he came and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Three times during this story, Jesus comes back to Peter, James, and John. And I wonder why. Why? I suspect it's because he needed some encouragement. He needed some his brothers to pray with him and support him. And yet... He didn't get any support from these guys. Uh, they couldn't stay awake. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Boy, the evil one had his eye on Gethsemane that night and was desperate to tempt Jesus and the disciples. And what do you do when you're tempted? You watch and you pray. That is our, uh, that is our offense. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And I think Jesus is saying that not just to Peter, James, and John, but to himself. This is the God-man, God inhabiting human flesh, and the body is weak. And yet Jesus modeled for us how to walk by the spirit, how to allow the spirit of God to call the shots in your life and not let the flesh be in control. Because the flesh especially when faced with hardship, cries out, protect me, protect me, escape, escape. Verse 39, and again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. So the second time Jesus prays, he's still asking God to remove the cup. 
Verse 40, And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy. And they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time. Now, the third time, something happened in that third time of prayer. Somehow Jesus came to the conclusion that it was in fact the will of God for him to drink the cup of suffering and judgment, to go through to the cross. And in that third time of prayer, once Jesus concludes that's the will of God, he then reconciles himself to the hardship and he steps into it by faith. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hand of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And Judas was, along with a mob, to arrest Jesus. Listen to the, listen to the, it's enough. The hour has come. Rise, let us be going. Jesus, here's the fourth principle of faith, is you step into the hardship with faith. And that's what Jesus did. Once he was, once he was convinced that it was, in fact, the Father's will for him to go to the cross, he resolves himself and steps in. In fact, uh, that was Jesus' resolution from there until he said it is finished and gave up the ghost. At any moment, he could have come down from the cross. He said, no one takes my life from me. I give it up willingly. I could call down angels from heaven and they could take me off the cross at any time. Now, I don't know uh, Jesus. So when you're in the midst of heart, do you know if it's God's will that you suffer the hardship well. Maybe he'll impress that upon you by his spirit, but most likely it's just he doesn't provide a way of escape and you're in the hardship and then you know because you know God heard you and you know God cares, uh, but he will leave you in the hardship if that's in fact his will for you. Now I have two concluding uh, remarks I want to make. First is this. On the cross, Jesus felt far from God, right? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus felt abandoned by the Father as he hung upon the cross, and yet I have to believe he had never been more fully in the will of God because he is being obedient to the Father even to the point of death. He was right smack in the center of God's will, and you know that the Father was pleased with him. And you know, when we are enduring hardship ourselves, sometimes we can feel abandoned by God. If God loved me and cared about me, why is he letting this bad thing happen to me? But you know, when you walk through the hardship with faith, God is with you and he is pleased with you. And finally, I want you to catch this. Before surrendering his body on the cross, Jesus surrendered his will at Gethsemane. This is in fact... I think the most important point for us today. Before Jesus surrendered his body on the cross, he surrendered his will at Gethsemane. Faith battles are often won before the hardship begins. Did you catch that? Jesus in the garden, before anybody arrested him, he had that wrestling of his soul and he said, yet not my will, but yours be done. And then he entered the hardship, walked through the hardship with 
faith. And so this morning, I, I have a challenge for you, and it's this. Today, have your Gethsemane. You can have your Gethsemane right now in this moment. And what does it mean? It means that you say, God, yet not my will, but yours be done in my life every day, every moment, no matter what comes. I trust you, Father, and your perfect plan. I have a will. I'll let you know my will. And you know what? The hardship's not, I'm not going to pretend that the hardship is easy. I'm going to cry. I'm going to stress. I'm going to be greatly troubled and, and grieved and, right? But I will endure if that's your will for me. Will you have your Gethsemane this morning? So, those of you who are uh, watching by uh, Facebook Live, maybe, maybe you just type that in, yet not my will but yours be done. And, and I want to give you just a moment to have your Gethsemane, and then I will conclude us in prayer. Jesus Christ, we learn from you and we honor you. Because you endured the cross, you have been highly exalted. Because you were willing to step into the hardship with faith, Lord, you secured our salvation and your own exaltation and praise for throughout all eternity. And so, God, we do right now submit ourselves to you. Yet not my will, but yours be done in my life. We love you. It's your name we pray. Amen.